his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. If you attended any of the more recent Chicago City Council meetings or Council Committee hearings, it's been apparent that community activism is alive and well in the city. Whether the issue is a police and fire training academy on Chicago's west side, the warehouse distribution center a company called Hillco wants to build in Little Village, or the $6 billion plan for the Lincoln Yards development on the north side, crowds of people have come out to express opposition and, in many cases, support. And it's clear that people are doing more than just raising the decibel levels at City Hall. This weekend, we're going to talk about what they are doing and what they will do. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. We're talking about community activism this week with three among many people who are on the front lines these days. First, we have Amisha Patel, executive director of the Grassroots Collaborative. That's an alliance of several community service and labor groups pushing for change in Chicago. Next is Hu Win, a board member of the parents and education activist group Raise Your Hand Action. And we're also joined by Debbie Southorn, one of the adults working with the mostly young activists in the No Cop Academy movement. They were fighting plans for that $95 million-plus public safety training academy that won city council approval this past week. And thanks to all of you for being here. Thanks for having us. So first, let me ask uh, perhaps a dumb question, and that is, are we really seeing more activism these days, or are we in the media just paying pay more attention to it? Amisha? I think that the activism has been going on for decades and decades, and there's a strong legacy, especially in Chicago, of organizing, of people coming together to try to fight for the change that they want to see. So, But I do think in recent period of time, the organizing has definitely become um, more vocal and more focused. And, and as we've been more focused, we've also been really clear about showing the connections between what we're focused on. And that is a really exciting development. So we have young, young black people who have been fighting to stop this cop academy. We have um, Latinx community members organizing to stop this um, environmental degradation in their communities that Hilco will bring. And then we have a group of multiracial folks fighting Lincoln Yards and the fact that we're about to hand over over a billion dollars in tax tax subsidies to this very wealthy developer. And I think those connections, though not new, I think we have an exciting moment of, of people coming together. And and uh, who the it seems that people are seeing those connections in what might at first seem to be unconnected things. And it seems that you're bringing groups together. For example, on the day when the city council was considering Lincoln Yards and the police and fire academy, um, when uh, you and other people spoke, uh, that was a joint news conference with, you know, both of those things as the subject. What is what is getting people to see those connections and keeping them together? Well, yes, and, and I'll just echo what Amisha said that I think we are starting to really um, organize uh, between the silos. So between, so for example, we got involved, Raise Your Hand was involved. Um, 
through the 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 calling, right, the invitation through Civil, which was the Chicago Independent Venues League, who were first starting to to push back on the Lincoln Yards. As a result, we partnered with uh, North North Side uh, <laughs> Housing. Excuse me. Yeah, that's okay. And, and and also, are we gonna, yeah, yeah, one one north, is one the, north, one absolutely. North, so we're seeing across Brighton Park, the yeah. public sectors, right? So this uh, this issue really affects housing. It affects education. It affects the public parks. So all of these, you know, the the tax dollars that are going to this mega development for luxury homes, we're starting to see those connections and how they affect the entire city, not just one sector. And and what is bringing young people out, Debbie? Uh, and and I'm not. I don't want to even imply that you're not young because because <laughs> you're pretty young too. But uh, but I mean, we had. We had people in their teens and, and you know, at best early 20s yeah. uh, really energized about the police academy and, by extension, these other issues. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's funny. I'm, I'm 29, and so I like to say that I'm one of the adult allies working this campaign, and I get laughed at for that a lot um, as, as though I'm not a young person. But we're talking about, yeah, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds that have been fighting and working on this issue for the last 18 months, actually, right after the announcement was made around the police academy. And I think what has been the biggest uh, motivator, right, is is actually something that I appreciate about how the Sun-Times started reporting on it, is is it's it's a, a symbol of ROM's misplaced priorities, right? And young people are tired of having their schools closed. They're tired of not having good jobs, right? They can, if they want to work for one summer Chicago, you get $8 an hour, and it's only for 20 hours a week during the, the summer, right? Young people deserve a living wage also, not just once you turn 18. Um, and, and so I think this campaign has spoken to all of these issues, right? It's not just about this building. It's about how are we investing in young people? How are we investing in black communities? How are we investing in the West Side? And, 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 and this building has really become sort of a symbol of, of what we're doing wrong. We put $4 million a day into the Chicago Police Department, and now they're going to get another facility on top of that when they continue to harass and lock up black and brown young people and, and kill with impunity in ways that just feel like the city constantly is ignoring young people's voices. And so this campaign has been sort of a, a, a megaphone, right, for, for young folks who I think, you know, one of, our, one of our youth leaders, actually, Destiny Harris, she opened for, at a, a Bernie Sanders rally, right? I spoke to an audience of 12,000, and she wrote her speech for it, and I was blown away because she talked about how she, you know, her elementary school was closed, right? And then the middle school that her friends went to was also closed, right? And then she's she's had to grow up with these policies that we like to sort of, uh, as adults, we remember how horrible it was when 50 schools were closed in 2013. But imagine being in middle school and seeing this institution in your neighborhood boarded up, closed, and now empty, right? And so she's been an incredible leader, an incredible um, voice saying, like, we young people deserve this investment, right? Let's invest in young people first. And so I think that's why we've seen so many youth come out. And then 20-somethings who are like, we're, we're in solidarity with the younger young people, right? And it's been really beautiful. <laughs> um, but a lot of what brings people out would be outrage at things, whether it's, it's the environmental problems in, in little villages is, is one example. But is and and from this point on, this is like a jump ball. Anybody can go for it because uh, we've established who you all are and your voices. 
So I don't have to necessarily point at you. But anyway, um, but is outrage enough to sustain the activism? That, that I mean, is it, does that keep it going? A, a, or what would? I think that's a, it's a great question. Um, and, you know, I think more and more we are really trying to center the emotion of love. And so much of that, there is outrage, of course, at injustice, but there's also love for community and love for people that is really driving this this organizing and this movement and is very much something that is what will sustain this work over the long haul. Um, it is, But it is both. There are many emotions involved in, you know, in people's lives, both in terms of what's happening to them, but also our vision and our belief of what's possible. And I think that vision and that sense of power and hope is really critical because I like to say when people, when you know, if I have friends who are organizers who feel burnt out, burnout to me is when you don't feel hope anymore. When mm. you are, it is a, it is a level of discouragement that nothing can change. And our work um, in, as organizers, and I think the work of of leaders across the city is to continue to organize the hope and and organize the sense of what's possible. And I think you see that a lot in each of these campaigns as well. So though there is. You know, I was really struck by, um, you know, yesterday at uh, city council or on, on Wednesday at the city council meeting, um, the, you know, there were hundreds of people who were not allowed into city council, um, though there were, you know, rows and rows of empty seats inside council chambers. But what young people in particular did with that moment and that energy was dance mm-hmm. and chant and and bring like the sense of, again, naming what they're what their vision is, but through with like living that joy in their whole body. And that to me is like that we have so much to learn as older folks around what actually is sustainable in this work. And that power and that energy is beautiful. And I think is, is what's going to carry us through. And what, what does it for either younger people, parents? I mean, we, I, like I said, for the years that I've been in Chicago and it's only been, you know, a few decades, um, it still seems to me that we are seeing something happening these days that is more energetic, more, uh, more long, long term than I think we've seen before. Obviously, not going back to the civil rights days, but, but still, for for what's going on in the city, uh, what keeps parents going? What keeps you know young people uh, still engaged? And, I mean, I think. excuse me so i think one of the things that comes to mind right is that the no cop academy campaign has in many ways been a part of uh you know the the movement for black lives that that we've seen sort of ripple the country but especially here in chicago right hundreds and thousands of young black people and and allies really have shaken up the political system quite literally over the last five years right um, we saw after the the, the video um, of Laquan's killing, um, you know, Anita Alvarez was ousted by the organizing of young black women. Um, we we saw reparations won for torture survivors, police torture survivors under Commander John Burge. Um, and in many ways, I think No Cop Academy in particular is a continuation of that legacy, in part because Rahm Emanuel is trying to say that this facility is j- somehow justice for Laquan. When, when, when you tell that to young people, it's, it's, it's like a stab and it's a dagger in the heart to say that, that justice for Laquan is a building where police can get more training as opposed to what are all the things and, that could have been in place so that we didn't fail Laquan in the first place, right? He was in foster homes. He was kicked out of school. 
he, he again and again was failed by the city systems. And so it's about it's about propelling and carrying forward the momentum that has been built over the last few years and continuing to demand a different vision. And this time it's been a sort of a, a crew of newer, younger leaders who who saw a lot of what's been happening and have been looking for and are, are just hungry for ways to plug in and have been able, able to access that through these campaigns. Right. Um, and I think that's been at least a, a piece of why um, we're, we're continuing to see such robust um, youth organizing in the city, frankly. Yeah. Who? Absolutely. I'll just add that I think certainly with, I'm a parent uh, in a CPS school uh, at Goethe, and I feel like uh, organizations like Logan Square Neighborhood Association who are really um, growing the parent mentor programs are doing a really great job of really, um, in addition to bringing in this idea of like not becoming, you know, burning out with compassion, right? We do have this idea of compassion fatigue, um, but of really being able to harness and unpack, like have really authentic conversations around unpacking privilege. And I think certainly for me and, and the parents that I think uh, that I work with and in community with, uh, particularly in, in families, because I come from a biracial family, or my kids um, are Vietnamese and and white Brazilian, I think we're having these conversations as we're communing, right? That we have to really authentically unpack the power dynamics, the white privilege, and how our communities can really show up uh, in solidarity, be real, you know, true allies in these situations. For example, you know, raise your hand and raise your hand action. Our members are primarily, you know, white, middle class, upper middle class um, parents from the north side. And when we started in 2010, it was as a result of, you know, just the disinvestment in schools. But obviously it wasn't, they weren't seeing the disinvestment in their schools. They were, but the impacts weren't as great as it was happening in the black and brown communities. And so for these parents to come together, to start reimagining what it would look like if we were really, truly equitably distributing our resources, that doesn't mean their schools need more resources because they're able to have those resources met. It means we really needed to get to the table and talk about and strategize around how can we really redistribute the resources from the district to these other communities and in a way that is not, um, for lack of better phrase, you know, this white savior complex. And so I think that is, for me, it feels like this authentic um, building across neighborhoods, across class divides. Um, you're listening to WBBM News Radio's Ad Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. We're talking about community activism in Chicago, and my guests are Amisha Patel, director of the Grassroots Collaborative, who win with Raise Your Hand Action, and Debbie Southorn with No Cop Academy. Um, so let's talk about, uh, this isn't where the fatigue comes in, but maybe some disappointment what happens when things don't go your way? And I'm not just asking what a group called No Cop Academy does when it's apparent that there will be one, but I, but also, uh, let's face it, all three of the things I mentioned moved forward. Uh, the 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 they got the zoning for the uh, for Lincoln Yards that still has to go through the big fight, which is over over the. Uh, taxpayer financing for it. But we let's be honest, we know where that fight is going to go. Um, and also, you know, we were talking about the little village. What happens 
to the energy, the activism, when the thing that was organized, you were organized about, goes down, or, you know, when, when it's, it, it wins. Amisha? I think what we've seen over the years is that um, what we at Grassroots Collaborative organize for and what our demands for are, are often so big and in some ways um, feeling very unlikely to win that we know that this organizing is for the long haul and that um, it is not going to be an instant quick um, a quick victory, but rather that we are building we are building wins through each of these fights. So even as we might have ultimately lost the pol- the demand, we un- we understand that we're building power and what our successes are towards that fight. And I think what that what we've seen over the years is that we've actually f- we've forced the administration to have to actually shift. So for example, in 2011, when Rahm Emanuel first came into office, the collaborative started organizing immediately around TIFFs. And um, one of the things we organized for was to uh, a TIF surplus ordinance, which would say that, you know, if, if, if TIF funds aren't actually used, they shouldn't stay as a slush fund, you know, ready for whatever the next, you know, whatever you want to use out of it, but rather should be returned back to the taxing bodies, to the schools, the parks, the libraries, where those dollars are being diverted from. And though we didn't actually, our ordinance got buried um, as often our ordinances do in city council and the rules in committee, the rules committee which is where all good things go to die. Um, yeah. But what Glad happened? You said that, but, uh, but I would have said it if you didn't. Yes, it is in fact I mean, what happens. We did an action with graves, with tombstones actually on Michelle Harris once. So, um, but what we did see was that Rahm Emanuel then did an executive order basically on what we were calling for. Right. So, he, didn't, he doesn't want us to give us the win. He wants to claim the idea as his. But that shows that the idea of what we wanted, there's power behind it, and we were ab- able to actually shift it over after uh, several years of organizing. So, of course, we knew, our, our communities knew that taking on, you know, $1.3 billion, um, t- you know, tax uh, giveaway to a huge developer. I, we're sitting in the building of this developer as we speak, um, Sterling <laughs> Bay, um, you know, was going to be very difficult, if not nearly impossible. But it, it for us, it's about we know that we have to, that there are so many wins in taking on the fight. And there's so much, you've, you actually see, you know, it's, it's kind of sad that in Chicago, a win for us is a divided roll call in city council. But the fact that there are, you know, six, eight, ten aldermen who vote against these things are actually really deeply significant. It, when that almost, was one of the most divided news uh, uh, roll calls that we've seen in a while. Yes. Which it, says a lot more about the city council it than it does, it does anything else. But, but, yes. but I think it, it shows that we are we are succeeding and pushing forward actually our ideas and forcing a real debate and conversation with an administration and a previous one before him and Mayor Daley that has been used to never having to have any conversation or argument at all. And I, and I know that uh, uh, that uh, Alderman, oh, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, who? Rosa. Huh? No, the, for, for the uh, Lincoln Yards development. Uh, oh, Hopkins. Hopkins, yes, Brian Hopkins. Uh, I'm getting old. <laughs> See, uh, Brian Hopkins isn't going to win too many fans in this room, I don't think. However, he said something. He, he basically said, uh, you know, the opposition made Lincoln Yards better. And, and clearly it did because there's more housing in there may not be enough, but there's, there's more, more housing, housing on site, on not, site. More hou- not more affordable yes, housing. But, right. there, but there's yeah. more housing on site. Uh, there's probably there's more parkland 
than there would have been if if Sterling Bay, or excuse me, if uh, yeah, if Sterling Bay had had its its original way. So some changes were made, and they promised that well, we're not necessarily the mayor promised that they're not done yet. Um, does that feel like a win? I mean, it's funny. I'll, I'll jump in here because I think also with the police academy, they also added restaurants to the site, right? To us, the win in that isn't that like, oh, now there's an additional thing. The win is that is they are feeling so much pressure for how how unwanted this is that they have to make these concessions and these changes uh, in order to to at least save their own face, right? I'm, we're not going to say, oh, because Peaches and Culver's are now going to be on the site of the police academy. Yes, that means it's real economic development. No. But the win is seeing an administration that is typically ruling with an iron hand, fumbling to, to save face on projects that should have just been a sure thing, that should have just passed right through and, and, and not, you know, rubber stamped. They should not have been split votes. That, that's, what's, that's what's a significant... Um, uh, thing, I think. And does it feel as if maybe the groups, maybe the people who were speaking out will have, if not the ear of the people who are moving forward, uh, allowed a seat at the table to, I mean, does it, does it feel like that can happen or is it just that you've been tossed a few scraps? I don't, you know, I don't think we're uh, I'm not expecting Mayor Emanuel to give me a call anytime soon or to give a well, call to any of us. he's not going to be calling many people not, in the next couple, no, after right. the next but, couple but of months. But a lot, he's still trying to do a tremendous amount before he leaves, yeah. right? And and that is part of the whole challenge here is that it's very clear that he's trying to push forward his legacy projects before he goes because he knows the next administration is not necessarily in favor. And it's actually several times have, in several of our cases have come out um, against, you know, the, these bills moving forward. So, um, yeah, so I do think that there is, you know, for us, it's about, we know that the things that we're asking for or fighting for and organizing for, um, aren't things that will, uh, will easily be won. And, um, we're clear about that. And part of it is that our visions are actually, are very, are very bold. They're, they, you know, many people from the outside will say, well, you're just never going to win that. And I think it is, again, this idea of like, we know that unless we imagine it and call for it, we will never get there. And so we're, I think we're clear that our organizing is, is over the long haul and we're looking out at like, you know, really generations ahead and what we can do to move forward that these aren't incremental changes we're fighting for. Yeah, and I think to the, <clears throat> I think to the average person, right, the only time we hear about these things is, is protests at City Hall, right? But we didn't just magically have 400 people show up yesterday because suddenly it's a bad thing, right? We're talking about over the last 18 months, literally hundreds of young people have been trained in how to canvas and door knock. They've been trained in how to meet with their aldermen and have met with their aldermen, right? They've they've done workshops and presentations for their peers and for other adults. Like we we see the win, right, in how much more prepared and more ready we are for the next fight um, as as actually far more important than whether we got six or eight votes in city council against this. Um, and I think uh, the fact also that we are telling these stories is connected. You asked earlier about how did we start to make some of those connections? 
And in part, it was because of the corruption scandals hitting City Hall. We just Mm -hmm. started digging. And and these aren't just connected in theory, right? Ed Burke was his firm were the attorneys for Sterling Bay when they sold the Lincoln Yards Fleet and Facilities Management site to the city, which is how they got the money for the copycat, right? Like, that's a material connection, not to mention, right, when we first started talking about those connections with young people, even before we said the Ed Burke pieces or the the pay-to-play pieces, we just painted the picture of what's happening at Lincoln Yards. And we were like, do you, do you see any connections? And they're like, yeah, this is a misuse of TIFFs. Community members don't want it. And this is about city council trying to rush something through, exactly like it's been happening with our project, right? So being able to tell those stories together and, and, and see our fights as connected is incredible. Like that Raise Your Hand had parent activists willing to take a rest with young black teenagers on Tuesday after the budget committee vote was this beautiful moment of intergenerational multiracial solidarity that is how we're going to be able to actually continue this fight for the long haul and, and reimagine Chicago. And who I'm going to toss this one to you first, but you guys have raised a, a really important issue here. What do you do when the people or persons, uh, the person in power, in this case, there will be an African-American woman mayor in, you know, in, on the fifth floor at City Hall who, at, in at least one case, completely supported what you were doing. Uh, I mean, in, in the case of uh, the police, the uh, police guy, and uh, frankly, also on the Lincoln Yards. We're saying slow this down. I think most aldermen will say the project's got to go eventually, but still slowing it down so people can have a say. They they were with you there. What happens when you get people who purport to be on your side in city hall? Uh, what do you do? What do you do then? I mean, how do you approach these people? I mean, are you is it is it a strong approach? Are you holding their feet to the fire? Or are you what, what do you do? Absolutely. We continue to organize in the same manner, right, that uh, we are organizing around accountability. So whether you said yes to a particular, for example, we'll take just for example, a few aldermen who had put out a public statement around Lincoln Yards a couple months ago saying they would vote no. In fact, yesterday they flipped to yes. So then we go back to the drawing board. We connect with their constituents and we have them call and set up a meeting and to talk about it further. So just because we think we're going to have, you know, um, someone in the position of power that is going to um, work more or or more aligned to our values and principles doesn't mean we're going to ease up on them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Amisha, what are the coming challenges? I mean, we've been talking about some very specific projects What's what's next on the list? We only have a couple of minutes left, but I but let's let's talk about where we're going to hear voices raised or at least asking for things again. Well, we know, I mean, you know, Lincoln Yards is just, you know, kind of one mega development project. We know that there are going to be future mega development projects. There's some already in the works like the Midwest TIF um and so uh, that kind of battleground around public dollars and where they should be used for and um, who does, who's, you know, who would actually develop without those public dollars and this idea that we have to throw all of literally billions of dollars to 
whether it's Lincoln Yards and Sterling Bay or it's Amazon or it's, you know, whoever is the next one, Google, who know, you know, we know there's a line of not of kind of corporate players who are coming in because that is the setup. We're all set up to like, you know, to kind of fight, fight against each other for these dollars. Um, but I think that's going to continue to be a battleground in terms of where those public dollars go. I also think that, I mean, criminalization of young black people is um, is not going to end no matter who is the next mayor of, of the city. And that organizing is going to continue and it's going to get you know bigger and stronger um, because that is what is necessary. So I think that I mean, those are just two examples of the kinds of fights that will continue. We, we know that. I mean, for me, what's at stake here is, is, is again, the city of Chicago. What's it going to look like? Who's it going to be for? Who's going to be allowed to actually afford to live here and be able to make this place their home? That is going to be the final word. And thank you for a discussion that went very quickly. So uh, we'll have to have you guys back sometime when we're talking about what's happened uh, with the new administration. I would like to thank Amisha Patel, director of the Grassroots Collaborative, who win with Raise Your Hand Action and Debbie Southorn with No Cop Academy for spending this half hour with us. To our listeners, if you'd like to have a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's WBBMnewsradio.com. You can also find our podcasts on radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.